Uh, let me wish you a good morning this morning. Glad you could be here, uh, whether you are online joining us, whether you're here in person. Uh, just glad we can spend this time with you. I uh, hope we are gathered here together just with a bit of anticipation uh, as we get to spend, you know, time opening the Word of God together. Uh, because our passage, well, it was a bit of, I'll be honest, it was a bit of a tough one for me, sort of getting through it, but I think it's going to be a good one. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. If you'd like to open your Bibles there uh, and join me. And this, let, this, this passage, it kind of marks a little bit of a transition for Paul as he's writing this letter. He even begins with that, uh, he begins with the word, finally. Uh, and it kind of reminds me of that old joke about pastors. You know, whenever a pastor says finally, you know they're only about half done. Um, but to be fair, the word in Greek uh, that Paul uses here doesn't mean I'm almost done. It means now about the rest of the stuff I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, it really just means Paul is sort of shifting gears in his thinking as he comes to our passage. Because Paul is really, he spent sort of the first three chapters kind of looking back. He's He's been sort of you know, reminiscing about the time he got to spend with this church, and he's been remembering, you know, the challenges uh, that they had to face together. But now with chapter 4, Paul begins looking forward, uh, and he encourages this church really in two areas going forward in, in the rest of chapter 4, two areas we need more of in our lives. He, he talks about hope and holiness. That's really the theme of chapter 4 and what it's all about. And Paul is going to focus on the holiness part first which is where our passage uh, takes us in 1 Thessalonians, again, chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And I'll encourage you, I'll read it. You want to follow along with me? He begins in verse 1, saying, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother. In this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things. And we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would just quiet our hearts uh, in this moment. Lord, as we look at your word, that uh, you would not just open it up to us, but, but Lord, you would help us to live it out. Uh, Lord, these words that Paul writes about holiness are words that should be affecting every moment of our lives. Uh, words we should be dwelling in, living in, living out uh, in every area of our lives. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us. So I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us in this matter. Lord, for some of us, maybe you'll bring some repentance and, Lord, some transformation in some areas where we need it. But Lord, again, I pray that you would do a great and mighty work as we open your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, I'm going to begin with a confession, which is maybe good when it comes to holiness, but it's not really that kind of thing. I confess that I probably watch too much TV. Um, But sometimes when you're actually watching TV, something sort of sticks out as being significant, I guess. And one of those things that sort of I've found significant over the years is sort of that age-old marketing strategy that you see so often of the before and after sort of technique. Uh, You know, you have dishwasher soap you want to sell. Well, you know, show the dishes, you know, all dirty before, you know, and then show them after. You've washed them with, you know, Miracle Clean soap. Uh, What a difference. You have a diet program you want people to join. Well, do a before and after. You know, look how different all these people are after six away, six months of way, uh, six months on the sort of starve away diet plan kind of thing. You have laundry detergent. You know, you show a bunch of clothes that are grass stained and grease stained and blood stained, and then you show the same clothes after you know a good wash and you know super scrubby soap. And I always think of Jerry Seinfeld, who said, "You know, if you have blood stains on your clothes, you probably have bigger issues than your laundry." But The contrast is still effective before and after. It works because really there's no better way to sort of illustrate the dramatic changes that can take place than to see it with your own eyes. And you know, Paul lived long before they had ads on TV, but that simple concept of before and after uh, didn't escape him because as Christians, you know, we are before and after people. So there is our old life that we used to live in sin before Jesus. And then there's our new life after Jesus in Christ. And the difference between those two could not be sort of more profound. In Christ, we are changed people. We are transformed. And that change happens not because we use super sudsy soap or anything like that. It happens because of something we call sanctification. And sanctification is really the main point of this passage we're looking at this morning. With Paul saying in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, this is really the key verse. He says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And everything that before that verse in this passage is building to that verse, and everything after this verse is just expanding on it. Sanctification is the point Paul's trying to make here. And yet, I'll be honest, sanctification is not really sort of a household word. Uh, Think back to when's the last time you used the word sanctification just in daily conversation? That probably did not happen recently. Um, But sanctification, if just more simply, we could describe it as the process of being made holy people in Christ. And you know, I know it's, in many circles, it's not popular to talk about holiness anymore. For many people, holiness is something seen as outdated. Um, in our society today, morality sort of is looked at as nothing more than sort of a personal lifestyle choice, and you should just mind your own business. You know, purity uh, is now seen as something, you know, that it's restrictive and prudish and, and even mocked in many circles. And yet, to ignore holiness in our lives as believers would be a tragedy for the church because if we are to be true followers of Christ, holiness, holy living, must be one of our highest goals. In fact, if you'll indulge indulge me just for a few minutes, I want you to just listen to a couple of different passages. 
First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Peter says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Ephesians 5, verse 3 says, But among you there must be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. 2 Timothy 1, verse 9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because for His own purpose and grace. And one more, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And I could go on. There's about 300 more verses um, that I could read from the Bible that talks about holiness. But I think the point is clear. Holiness is not just important. It is essential to our lives as Christians. And I think that's why Paul really makes such a strong appeal for holiness in this passage. He says in verse 1, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are, that you do so more and more. I don't know if you noticed that, that Paul, he both asks and urges this church to live in holiness. It's a double emphasis, which is actually pretty rare for Paul. He's saying it twice because it's so important. And those are strong words, both in the English and in the Greek. In the King James, it says, we beseech you and exhort you. The Phillips translation says, we beg and pray. And Paul makes this strong request for holiness. Even though Paul himself admits that this church was already doing that. You're already living in this way. But he urges them to do it more and more because it just goes to show that we can never be too intentional about our pursuit of holiness. You know, we should never, as Christians, really get to a place where we feel like we can drop our guard in this area of our lives. Because there's so many dangers, so many pitfalls that we can fall into that, that will make us stumble when it comes to holiness if we're not careful. You know, someone once said in the Christian life, you are either growing and moving forward or you're declining and moving backwards. There's no middle ground. There's no comfortable or even acceptable place to stop making progress when it comes to our relationship with Jesus and our holiness. And maybe that's why in this verse, Paul refers to how we live as Christians uh, as our walk to please God. He doesn't call it, you know, a stand around and see what happens. It's a walk. And walking, it implies movement. Walking is putting one foot in front of the other and repeating over and over again to get ourselves to someplace new. And the old preacher, Ray Stedman, he picks up on that idea and looking at this passage and says, walking merely consists of two simple steps repeated over and over again. It's not a complicated thing. 
And he says, in the same way, the Christian life is a matter of taking two steps, one after another. And those two steps Paul describes in the book of Colossians as putting off the old man and putting on the new. And that's the rhythm of the Christian life. Get rid of the old, put on the new. Get rid of the sin, begin to live a life in holiness and by faith. You know, stop living in bondage to sin. Live in freedom that comes with being guided by the Spirit. That's walking in holiness. That's the rhythm of the Christian life. That's how we advance in faith. An advancement is, is what we want, especially in the area of holiness. Because as Paul says, you know, at the end of chapter, at verse 1, he says he wants us to be doing this more and more. He wants continual growth in our lives in this area. Of course, that doesn't mean we're going to be perfect all the time. This is something else I want you to kind of take hold of. Because even though we're called to be holy people as Christians, it doesn't mean we're not going to be tempted doesn't mean we're not going to sometimes make mistakes. It doesn't mean we're going to not stumble sort of in this area now and then. Because aside from Jesus, there's nobody who's perfect. And if there ever was someone who could have been perfect in this area, probably would have been Paul. I mean, he was so zealous. You know, he was sold out to all of this. But if you listen to Paul's own words in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, he even says, Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul dedicated everything in his life to his pursuit of God. And yet even Paul says, you know what? Hey, I'm not perfect, but I am still working on it. And that's the key, to keep working on it, to keep persevering in our lives when it comes to holiness, even through the tough times. Because you know what? I know a lot of people who get so down on themselves because they're not perfect, because they make a mistake, or they keep tripping up in some area, that they just say, you know what? I give up. But we can't give up when it comes to holiness. We need to keep getting back up when we fall and keep going back to God. We need to make sure we are actively seeking holiness and living in holiness as a priority as Christians day after day after day. But something else that's also essential to our holiness, and I don't want you to miss this here either, is is the value of other people in our lives. When it comes to holiness as a church, we need each other. Uh, You've probably heard the old saying, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, when it comes to holiness, it really takes a church. And I say that for sort of a couple of three reasons. Uh, First here, Paul says in verse 1, he reminds them that they received this instruction about holy living from him in the first place. He says in verse 1, you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. In church, they got taught what a holy life looked like. And you know, we need that too. We need, as the people of God, we need good, solid, biblical teaching and preaching to know how to live our lives. That's why we need to be studying the Word of God. Because it's in the Word of God where we learn what true holiness really is. It's in the Word of God that we learn the difference between right and and what is wrong. Psalm 119 verse 9 asks the question, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? And the answer, by living according to your Word. 
Because the natural result of not knowing God's truth is that you don't know how to live. But even more than just teaching them the truth, Paul also showed this church how to live in holiness by his own life. Now, just a few chapters earlier in 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says, beginning of verse 9, says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. You are witnesses. And God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you as believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And that example that Paul was talking about there is important because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Then you became imitators of us and the Lord. Paul's saying his entire life was on display in this church. He not only told people, but he showed people what truth lived out looked like. And again, in our church today, we still need good examples to follow. Holiness is so much easier to take hold of when we have someone else to help show us how. Churches should not be places of do as I say, not as I do. Churches should be places where we have good examples of godly men and women living a holy life for the next generation of believers to follow and emulate. And then I would add here, even though it's not necessarily in our passage directly, when it comes to other people in our lives and it comes to holiness, there's also the importance of encouragement and accountability uh, that we can get from the church around us when it comes to holiness. Living a holy life is so much easier when we have other people around us encouraging us and spurring us on and also sort of picking us up when we fall. As a community, as a church, we need to be a place where people who have been hurt by sin can find healing, where people who are struggling with sin can find strength, where people seeking holiness can find encouragement. And I'll add here, at no extra cost, if you are truly serious about living in holiness in our lives, in your life, you also need to be willing to make yourself accountable to other people. That's one of the things the church does for us. And you know, I have found it in my own personal experience, I have found it extremely rare for a person to overcome a habitual sin in their life without being willing to be accountable to someone else. We need to find a group of people that we can be honest with, who, who will ask us tough questions, and who will just be there to support each other when we get together in these areas of our lives. You know, give people permission to get really tough with you in your life, in, in the area of holiness, to help keep you on track. Because for these reasons, the pursuit of holiness is better done when we do it together as a church. And that actually brings us to, you know, and Paul, uh, to discuss one area of our lives where we probably struggle most when it comes to holiness. He says, beginning in verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. You know, when it comes to holiness, there are so many things that can cause us to stumble. 
uh, greed, selfishness, anger, deceit, crude language, bad attitudes. And Paul talks about all of those things in, in other letters that he writes. So why does Paul sort of specifically focus here on the area of sexual immorality in our lives? Well, other than this is such a powerful temptation, and we all know this. You know, this is, this is a drive that God put within us uh, that can be, you know, properly exercised in the bounds of marriage, but it's not always. And it messes so many people up. But I think there's, other than just the power of this temptation, I think there's two reasons that Paul specifically talks about sexual immorality here. And the first really has to do with the culture of the time that Paul was writing to Uh, And to put it kindly, the church in Thessalonica found itself in a culture that just its mind was in the gutter, as we would say. In fact, all across the Roman world, sexual sin was rampant. Every form of immorality, promiscuity, sexual perversion was not only practiced, it was considered socially acceptable in the culture of that time. Prostitution was actually seen as a normal part of everyday life even part of worship at many Roman temples. It's not the perfect analogy, but it would basically be like stopping for fast food on the way home. Like that, there was no more shame than than that that sort of thing. Harry Ironside put it like this. In Paul's day, immorality was so common among the heathens that even Christians were apt to look upon it with a measure of indifference and even complacency. And, you know, perhaps not shockingly, our culture is not all that far behind. And we're getting there. I was actually taken aback just a few years ago um, when I heard some statistics from an Angus Reid poll. Because according to this poll, 52% of men in Canada believe that watching pornography is always or usually morally acceptable. The report also indicated that 43% of Canadian men aged 18 to 34 believe that buying sex is always or usually morally acceptable. Viewing pornography in this study was actually seen as being more morally acceptable than buying a gas-guzzling SUV. More and more, our our culture sees sexual sin as not being a big deal. And that was the danger here as Paul is writing. And you know, I've kind of talked to you about this before, but one of the dangers to our holiness as Christians is we can get this idea in our heads that there are some acceptable sins. This idea that there's some sins that we can commit that God isn't really all that bothered by. That just, you know, maybe just a little compromise is, is actually just fine as long as we're careful, as long as we're discreet, as long as we sort of steer clear of those sort of big sins that end up on the news, we should be okay. And that's why Paul's writing here, I think, because many people in the church of Thessalonica may have looked at sexual immorality and said, what's the harm? Everybody's doing it. It's, it's not a big deal. Why should we be worried about this? But the truth is, there are no acceptable sins. And in our lives, even the smallest sin can have a profound impact if we leave it unattended. Never think that small compromises in your faith can't lead to big problems. Because sin always costs you more than you think. 
You know, sin is not a shortcut to happiness. It's not the pathway to success. It's not a means of fulfillment. It won't fill that empty place in your soul. Sin will promise you the world, but it will cost you everything and leave you with nothing but regret and consequences. And there's no exceptions here. All sin, any sin, is deadly to our faith. And that's actually double for sexual immorality. And this is the second reason why I think Paul singles out this sin in the passage. Because if we continue reading in verse 6, he said that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all of these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. And then down to verse 8, therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. And the reality is that in our lives, Failure to live in holiness, it has consequences. And the consequences for sexual immorality are just, they are especially bad. I mean, Paul has just used, referred to sexual immorality and the wrath of God in the same sentence. That should be a warning to every person who hears it. Because the wrath of God is not just a bedtime story we make up to scare children. The wrath of God is real, and there are real and eternal consequences to what we're talking about this morning. John Piper comments on this. He says, the consequences of lust are going to be worse than the consequences of a nuclear war. Because all a nuclear war can do is kill the body. But Jesus said in Luke 12, verse 4, And five, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do to. But I will warn you to fear, uh, whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. The wrath of God means we should be taking sin seriously. And it means God takes sin seriously. But you know, even in saying that, I don't want you to be living in constant fear about the state of your salvation. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1, still true. There there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But what I do want us to think upon when it comes to our holiness is what our sin costs. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. Because another one of the dangers we face as Christians is that we can begin to take the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for granted. We can even begin to think to ourselves, you know what, if God is so ready to forgive us of sin, we can just keep sinning and God will just keep forgiving. But do not abuse God's grace by thinking that it is license to sin. Yes, sin is forgiven. Yes, grace is free, but it should never be something that we treat as cheap. Because it came at the cost of the precious blood of Christ. And even though we are free from the judgment of our sin, we will all still one day have to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And that should be something we take seriously. And that's the bad news about the consequences of our sin. But there's actually some good news coming. Because even though Paul here tells us that in our passage that When we engage in sexual sin, we hurt our relationship with God. And we damage our relationship with others. And we even heap shame upon our own bodies. 
And that shouldn't come as a surprise to us because that's what sin does. When sin entered the world, it destroyed each of those things. You see, sin destroys our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with others, one another, and it destroys even our relationship with ourselves. And we see that happening in this passage. We see it in our lives all around us. That's even why the mission statement of Northgate Baptist, it's on the front of your bulletins every week, is that we exist to bring all people into a reconciled relationship with God, themselves, and others. We want to see healing in each of those areas where sin does so much damage. And the good news is that holiness, living in holiness, it does that. When we live in holiness and holiness to each other, and hol- it's healing. It is healing in places where sin so actively destroys. So when we live in holiness, it revives and it strengthens our relationship with God, where sin just tears that apart. When we live in holiness, it heals our relationship with others in that we don't abuse them anymore. We don't damage them anymore or sin against them. Instead, we seek to live in love and fellowship with them. And it even restores our relationship with ourselves. When we live in holiness, we trade that shame and that guilt that we have in our lives over sin and we trade it for forgiveness and peace. And Paul even mentions in, the chapter, in verse 4, for honor. Holiness is, is really about healing. In fact, more than that, holiness is beginning to experience abundant life in Christ. It is what kingdom living is all about. And it's the beginning of, of God's restoration of what sin has broken. Even back to that original fall. And holiness is also God's desire for his people. And Paul says again in verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. And you know, there's so much more I could probably say this morning. This is one of those sermons when I was preparing it that I probably, I left more unsaid than I was able to say. Because there's just so much here to talk about. But you know, as we close this morning, I just want to take a few moments to ask you just to think about your life. And just think about your own holiness before God. And just ask yourself, is there something in your life right now that you know needs to go? Are there areas where, where you know that it needs some cleaning out? Are there changes that you need to make? Are there priorities that need to be rearranged? And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Because, you know, I've, I've said this before too, but I'm convinced that so many Christians today are living unfulfilled, empty lives that they're just stuck in a rut simply because they're compromising their faith by the way that they live, even if it's in some, just one small area of their lives where they've grown comfortable with sin. But also know that no matter who you are or what you've done, you can know that it's never too late to come back to God and to continue to walk the journey towards holiness in your life. And if you're here this morning and you know that you've not been, you know, you have been living a life of compromise, if you know you've become too familiar with the world, if you know today that you've not been living in a way that is pleasing to God, 
then there's no better way for you to get back on track than to confess your sin. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to deny it. Don't try to rationalize it. Confess it and repent and take it to the cross. And take it to the cross knowing that we are all sinners, but we are saved by grace. And then trust in God, not only to forgive, but to bring that transformation. I mean, there's a reason I think Paul mentions the Holy Spirit, you know, in that final verse. That, because holiness is not God saying to, to us, uh, I, I wonder how holy you can be if you try really hard. No, holiness is God saying to us, I will change your heart if you let me. Because when it comes to holiness, it's not enough just to have willpower or discipline or good intentions. It is God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's work in our lives and in our hearts that truly sets us free and makes us holy people. To try to do this on our own would be disastrous, but to do it through Christ and his Holy Spirit is victorious. And that's God's desire for his people. And his desire has not changed. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, even as we spoke about holiness this morning, we know that that, that that is your will for us, your people, that we are to be holy just as you are holy. And Lord, we know that there's many days that come where we do not do that. We are not perfect. But Lord, I pray that in each of our lives, we would still be making progress in this area, that we would still be making it a priority, that even in those times when we fall down, and make mistakes, we would get back up, confess our sins, and return to you to keep walking that walk. And that, Lord, that we would take sin seriously in our lives. That there would be no area where we just kind of grow comfortable with it. But, Lord, we would just be constantly just testing our hearts, asking you to come in and search us to see if there's any iniquity within us. And that, Lord, we would get rid of it. And that that would be our walk of faith. Continually putting off the old and confessing our sins and then putting on the new and pursuing you with all of our hearts. And Lord, as a church, we want to be the kind of church that supports people in that. That, Lord, we would be praying for them and encouraging them and training them and helping them be accountable um, to each other to find that freedom that is available to us in you. And that, Lord, as a church, we pray that our lives would be examples of this to those around us. And that that holiness that we are living in, that it would begin to bring healing into our lives, into our relationship with you, our relationship with others, and our relationship even with ourselves. Knowing that, again, we are not alone in this. This is not something we do in our own strength, but, Lord, this is through the power of your Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, this is not just a change in our outward behavior. This is a change deep in the inward parts of our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, we would seek you first and fully in all that we do. And that, Lord, everything else, every other temptation that comes our way would fade away compared to the surpassing glory of who you are. And that in all that we do, and that all that we say, and all that we think, that, Lord, we would do it as holy people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.